Well, good morning. My name is Lauren, and I'm part of the staff team here, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet. We're in the middle of a series called Who Cares? Last week, Gary outlined for us, you know, what God really cares about, what causes his heart to beat. You can catch up, you know, with that on the podcast on our website, if you like. Well, last weekend, I got to have the greatest adventure, headed off to Seattle by float plane with a big plan, conspiracy plan of my three siblings surprising my dad for his birthday. My brother flew up from California, I flew down, and it was a glorious day leaving Victoria Harbor on a float plane. It, nothing's better than that Victoria Harbor in the, in a, on a calm day. Landed in Seattle, all was well. We got to, the surprise went off epically. Thankfully, it's on video. But while I was sitting in that waiting room, getting ready to leave, one of the things about traveling that's so fun is you get to kind of watch people a little bit more shamelessly than at other times. And just noticing people coming in, you know, there were people, I was noticing how, how kind people were. People were letting, you know, someone go in front, you know, opening doors for each other. It was like people being away from home brought out a whole other side that was kind of pleasant. And it got me to kind of thinking, how much easier it is for me to kind of even want to be kind to someone. Certain strangers kind of, I, I want to help more than others. Sometimes I'm kind of really happy to inconvenience myself actually quite extremely to help someone. Other times, not so much. There's times, you know, I let someone go in front of me. And if any of you know me, that is an epic gift. Because I have a diagnosable problem of being impatient. So if I ever let you go in front of me, count yourself <laughs> as someone who's very blessed. Um, but, you know, there's those people that I noticed as I was thinking about this that I really, I really don't want to be even nice to, never mind actually sacrificially, you know, be kind to them. And for me, it's people who are pushy or overly dramatic, reactive, and don't give, even go there with the whining. But what's really interesting is it actually gets magnified when I'm around people who I've, I know well, who I've been with over a period of time, I have some history with. You know, it, helping those people just does not feel the same as that total stranger who, you know, I don't have any history with. And so it kind of got me thinking, you know, like there's certain categories of people, not just their behavior, but there's certain categories of people that bring up stuff for me, that remind me of someone. And I'm just simply not that inclined and honestly just not that interested in being helpful. Maybe the same is for you. You know, like me, you probably have a list of reasons, you know, plausible reasons why you might pass on being kind to certain people. And it gets even more complicated and more intense when that person either is someone who's hurt us, reminds us of someone who's hurt us, or, you know, someone that we love. Maybe they've hurt someone that you love dearly. Well, there's a story in the life of Jesus that illustrates kind of this whole tension that, you know, we, that I'm talking about. Um, and it, it's really that tension that we face around our reactions to different people that we encounter, you know, in our regular everyday life. The story takes place after Jesus, one of his actually most famous sermons. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and it's not that creative. It's because it took place on the side of a mountain. Gary actually spoke about that a couple weeks ago, and you can catch up with that message online as well. But that famous sermon that Jesus gave was really all about 
the radical life, the radical way to live that Jesus came to demonstrate for us. Things like love your enemies, go the extra mile, turn the other cheek. Well, there had been a large crowd watching Jesus, listening to him that day, and they were amazed at his teaching. They were amazed at his authority about how, you know, he was such a good communicator. There was this buzz of excitement about what he was talking about. And that sermon was actually recorded in two of the biographies of Jesus, both Matthew and Luke, where he just outlined actually really specifically what God followers' lives start to look like as we spend time letting God love us. Well, at the end of the sermon, Jesus makes clear that he's not just sharing this way to live because it's new and it's radical and it's exciting and it's different and honestly weird. But he was actually sharing it so that we could experience our best possible life. The life that we were destined, created to live. But interestingly, of course, also the life that we crave, the one that we want the most. A life where we know that we're cherished, that we have purpose, that we have satisfaction that we're making a difference. And if you and I do life this way that Jesus outlined, if we take action in that direction, don't actually just hear about it, think it's a good idea, but actually have it start impacting our lives, we have a paramountly different life. It's better. It's stronger. But that's where we're going to pick up this story. Jesus has just finished this epic talk up, talk up the mountain. And when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. And imagine with me for a moment, Jesus has his disciples around him, streaming down the mountain, hundreds of people following him. We're not really sure how many, could be thousands. But there's an energy in this crowd of excitement. They're maybe whispering to each other, you know, maybe he's the Messiah. We've never heard anyone speak like this. There's some anticipation about what he might say next, because he's, everything he's said has been so radical. And then... A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of him. Well, all eyes are on Jesus. I'm sure there were gasps in the crowd because they had to have been wondering what was Jesus going to do. Because in that day, leprosy was one of the most feared diseases around. Not only did it disfigure people physically so that they actually looked quite hideous with as their skin you know, was affected, but they were alone and shunned, and, and people were terrified of them. Not only was the disease massively contagious, uh, deadly if you got it, but even contact with someone, didn't even have to touch them. If you even came near someone with leprosy, it's almost like you became infected socially, that you became unclean. There was this religious and social awareness that just being around the disease that was so unknown and so scary that you would somehow get it on you. Not necessarily that you would have it physically, but it would at least be on you enough that you would become shunned as well. People reacted to it much like, you know, we did in the 80s, you know, with the AIDS epidemic before we really understood how AIDS happened, where people were preoccupied excessively and with worry about, you know, am I going to be affected? But if you kind of multiply that by a gazillion, that's kind of how people at that, in that culture at that time reacted to someone with leprosy. So imagine with me, crowds coming down the hill with some momentum, 
And Jesus suddenly stops because this man's in front of him. The crowd stops. And all that energetic excitement completely stops with probably, you know, gasps of catching your breath and not breathing with terror. As the crowd, you know, fearfully looks on to this man with leprosy. But as as we're watching and they're watching the crowd, watching Jesus rather, the man says to Jesus, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. The whole crowd is watching and waiting for Jesus to jump back, to put some distance between him and this person who's going to infect him. And he must have absolutely looked hideous. But Jesus did the coolest thing. He reached out his hand and he actually touched the man. And he said, I'm willing. Be clean. And immediately the man was cleansed of his leprosy. The crowd must have gone wild. You know, Jesus not only just stopped in his tracks, all that momentum and excitement he was willing to interrupt, but he was willing to give his undivided attention to this one poor leper. It's unbelievable. But what makes this story even more incredible is that it doesn't actually stop there. When Jesus had entered Capernaum at the bottom of the hill, a centurion came to him asking for help. It's kind of easy for us today to, you know, read that sentence and just carry right along and really miss the gravity of what would happen for anyone in the first century who was there or even reading about it. They would instinctively understand that this is a moment that you need to just pay attention to. I can't even exaggerate how much uh, to help us understand the intensity of these people's reaction to this man standing in front of Jesus. Let me tell you what I mean. At that time, the Jewish nation was under Roman occupation. And a Roman centurion of all the Roman executives had the power to decide your fate. He represented the trauma of many, many years, recent years of Jewish history with the Roman Empire. About 60 years before Jesus was born, the Roman general Pompey rode into Jerusalem. He charged right through the gates of the temple in the center of the city, up the stairs into the holiest place of worship and really the national identity of every Jewish person. He rode through the gates into that holiest place, ignored all of the priests, but his soldiers butchered them as he went through, as they were giving sacrifices to God, asking for redemption from these oppressors. Pompey walked right into that holiest place. He pulled back the the 60-foot curtain into the place where the Jewish God lived. Didn't find him in there. was empty. So he went on his way down to Egypt, finished his campaign. That day, Galilee and Judea, two of the Jewish um, provinces, became a Roman Republic. They lost their freedom that day. And a few short years later, another Roman leader, Crassus, came to the same temple, plundered the treasury, took everything of value. He violated the sanctity and the holiness of that central icon that it was so near and dear to the near and dear to the very DNA of what made someone feel like being a Jew, like they were everything that they were was intersected with that place. 
It wasn't about the money and the treasure. It was about it being so important. A short period of time went by, and then Rome appointed a king for Israel so they could have their own king, and that was Herod. He became known as Herod the Great, but the Jews didn't think there was anything great about him. He was a tyrant. He murdered two of his wives, three of his sons. He slaughtered numerous rabbis, many, many Jewish leaders, and created so much chaos, particularly in the city of Jerusalem, that he was deeply despised. Herod was the king who sent his butchers into Bethlehem to kill the babies when Jesus was a child to try to prevent a young boy in that city growing up to threaten his rule. And what was increasingly ridiculous, and what was just ridiculous about that was Herod was already an old man. This young boy wasn't ever going to be a threat to his rule. It was Herod's son who, was a, who killed a central figure in Jesus' life, actually his cousin, John the Baptist. So by the time Jesus was having this conversation with this crowd around him, with this centurion, Herod the Great was long gone, but Roman oppression was not. This is who the Roman centurion, who his story represented to these people, to Jesus. He wasn't just any soldier. He wasn't a private. He was a centurion. And a Roman centurion meant that you excelled at two things. Violence and submission to a regime of terror. You took orders without question. You did whatever you were ordered to do by the most brutal oppressor. This centurion had defied and ignored every Jewish law. He had done unspeakable things. He offended everyone just by his presence. He had violated everything considered decent at that time. A centurion's job was to bring his soldiers into communities to rape and pillage and terrorize the people into submission to keep them afraid and on edge with the sole purpose of having the people under the control of the Roman Empire. Now this man, the very representing, the very worst of humanity, is standing in front of Jesus, a Jewish rabbi, asking for help. The high emotion in that crowd was palpable. I'm sure you could have just cut the tension with a knife. And the centurion said, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And then, insult of insults, you know, he, he has the audacity to comment on his servant's suffering. He is a Roman centurion. He's in charge of a hundred men whose sole job it is to inflict suffering. Who is he to care about suffering after being part of a regime whose entire purpose was to inflict suffering? Jesus could have said very easily, very justifiably, who cares after all your people have done to my family, to my people, to my country? You want me to help you? Dude, you actually don't know my story. Jesus could have said, you know, thanks to your king, my mother's life was in danger. 
Because he wanted to get more taxes in his coffers, he ordered a census when my mother was very at the end stages of pregnancy, days from delivering. She had to walk four days on foot and on the back of a donkey to get to the city that she needed to for that census, putting her life in danger and mine. And I ended up having to be born in a stable. Jesus could have said that your king ordered the massacre of children my age in Bethlehem when I was born. And as a result, my family had to flee last minute to Egypt. And I had to spend, you know, my first 12 years in Egypt away from my family. And now you want something from me? Have you ever been in a remotely similar situation? You know, where a person who has wounded you, who's wounded someone you care about, comes in front of you and asks for something. Something that your obvious response is, are you kidding me? Well, here's the thing. Jesus was born into this world to introduce humanity, to introduce you, introduce you and me to a brand new approach to living and a brand new ethic that would fly in the face of common sense. Sometimes, you know, our common reactions, it goes against that, and even common decency. Jesus had just, don't forget, he'd just come down the mountain from the famous sermon where he just taught, if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High. He laid out a completely upside-down way to live. Do good to those who you would never even think would ever be good to you. And in fact, actually take it a step further and be good to those who have harmed you. And we're not talking about putting yourself in harm's way by being good. We're talking about not being trapped by this bitterness and hatred, but that you're able, at least in your heart, to extend kindness to people who have harmed you. Can you just imagine that emotion in that moment? Everyone was focused on what Jesus was going to do with this request. Here's what Jesus did. He said, shall I come and heal him? And he did. Something is striking about this. Why, why do you think that it's easier for us to serve a stranger than it is an offender or even a neighbor, or someone in our lives? Well, here's an idea to consider. Could it be that the reason it's easier to help a total stranger is that you and I actually have a very short memory? That we identify more actually with Jesus than we do with the centurion? Could it be that we lean towards seeing ourselves, maybe looking over the shoulder of Jesus and looking at this person in front of us, this offensive centurion? or the person in your life, we're full of judgment and disgust at their audacity. We even have a sense of self-righteousness as we contemplate that we're in a place 
pretty powerful place of deciding whether we are going to be gracious, whether we're going to extend kindness to this horrible person, whether we're going to be compassionate. I think the reality is that we're actually more similar to the centurion than we really like to contemplate or even want to admit. You and I have followed in our lives just our natural inclination of survival. We all have grown up in some pretty crazy circumstances. We've grown up with real people in our house, which means that we've had real issues. But the reality is that our na- we followed the inclination to judge those people as well. And yet, we have offended ourselves, countless people in our own lives too. We often cause hurt, and we've maybe even caused harm just by us trying to survive, by following our natural instincts, our natural reactions when we're hurt and we're frustrated. And not just discounting the unintentional hurt that we do, never mind when we get good and mad and things start flying. It's easy to see ourselves only as the person who's been offended, the person who's been hurt, rather than also the person who has caused hurt. But Jesus, he understands all this. And he understands that this, this tension that we face is actually the difference that the life that he came to introduce us to, kind of where the rubber hits the road, where our natural human tendencies towards lashing out and hurting each other and even revenge start to create tension. And how Jesus responded to this man, it's right his request, it's actually right at the core of Jesus' message. And Jesus' work right in our hearts, helping us to notice that we are undeserving. We are undeserving of mercy. We're undeserving to be the person judging. And once we really grasp that we may not be as together as we like to think, it's then that we become compelled to actually do something different because we start to receive his mercy in an incredible way. And we actually can't treat people with such clear judgment anymore. Out of our own healing that God does in our hearts because of that undeserved mercy, we end up being able to live different, to do different things. We begin to honestly be able to say more than ever that I do care, even when it doesn't make sense to care. Receiving God's mercy every day Continually, it's an ongoing process, you know, letting him love us and then really starting to live differently. It's essentially what determines whether we're serious about following Jesus or not. And it's, you know, just honestly, it's easier to use our hurt as an excuse to just stay offended and, you know, give ourselves a pass and kind of just belittle and minimize and ignore how ungracious we can be towards certain people in our lives. It's natural. It's normal. 
And it's so beautiful to me that Jesus understands how normal that reaction is. And yet he clearly taught and he demonstrated for us numerous times that our normal and our natural, our justified responses are actually exactly what keep us trapped and missing out on this incredible life that Jesus came to introduce to us that we can live differently. A life where we can begin to love those we would honestly rather not love. But we love them because we know that God loved us while we were and are still often unlovable. And that's when everything changes. Would you pray with me? God, thank you that you not only came to show us a way, to tell us a way to live, but that you lived it every moment, that you experienced the same human reactions to want to lash out and, and point out how ridiculous some of us can be. And yet in that moment, you show us how to live. And we just recognize that, you know, sometimes we don't want to hear a message like this. It scares us, you know, that we could cause others pain, you know, like we've been hurt. And that, you know, we can feel justified in hanging on to our anger. Give us the wisdom to recognize how we're speaking, how you're speaking to us and the courage to take the steps you're inviting us to take. That we would learn to embrace your mercy for us at a new level. Help us to receive your love for us in a deeper way and to serve others the way that you would serve. And help us to see the people around us the way you see them. And just to take action in whatever ways you're inviting us to do that. In your name we pray. Amen.